Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to study your word. We trust you that by your spirit you will teach us, guide us into all truth, that in your love you will help us to understand what you are teaching us tonight. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing in our study of the book of Galatia. We're in chapter 5. We skipped last week uh, because we had last week for prayers. But so we need to really go back to the last few verses of last week so that we can stay in the flow of thought of what we've been talking about. Galatia chapter 5, but we're going to go to chapter 4 from verse 28 to 31. That's where we ended last week. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. We are children of Sarah. We are children of promise, like Isaac. <clears throat> what is this saying? It's saying that we also received, we also were people that were born again by promise. We didn't, we didn't receive anything from God by what we did, by human connivance. God made a promise, and we are the product of that promise that God made to Abraham. As God made a promise to Abraham as regards Isaac, God made a promise to Abraham as regards us, too, that we'll be counted righteous if we believe in Jesus Christ. So that when, once we believe in Christ, we're counted righteous. So we, we, we didn't come by the way of human mind who think, oh, if I obey the law, or if I do this, if I do that, then God will accept me and count me righteous. That is coming like the way that Ishmael was born. Ishmael was born by Abraham conniving with the slave woman to have a child, which wasn't what God promised him. So we didn't come from human effort, human wisdom. We are products of God's wisdom, God's act of fulfilling his promise when we came to Christ and simply put our faith in Christ. And the Bible says something very interesting, that if you don't come by faith in Christ, you will not share in the blessings of the kingdom. That's what it says. It says, get rid of the slave and her son. Get rid of that law thing and trying to earn God's blessings and trying to earn God's acceptance. Get, it's human mind. So get rid, of, get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Earlier on, he said, you know, he said the scripture says, you know, the barren has more children than that, than the woman who has children as natural birth. And without any child, without any pain. So we are children of Sarah without her going through labor pain. And then he's saying the number of children Sarah now has, 
No, human, no woman can have that naturally. So that the word of the spirit is more powerful, more productive than the word of human effort and human mind. So that's why we ended. In Galatians 3.6, it says, in, look at the promise that God made Abraham, which we, we benefited from. Galatians 3 says, in the same way, Abraham simply believed God, and God counted him as righteous simply because of his faith. In verse 7, it says, the rich children of Abraham then, like Isaac, are those who put their faith in God. Verse 8, verse 8, what is more? The scriptures looking forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations, all nations of this world, every human being will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So all who don't want to put their faith in Christ, but they want to earn it by another way, the Bible said they will not inherit it. They are not going to be accepted. They are not going to be counted righteous. And if they are not counted righteous by God, they don't get every other blessing from God. This is a very serious situation. So now let's go to chapter 5. Paul now challenges us Christians and people who are reading his, <clears throat> this letter to now practice what he's been talking about. To put our faith in Christ and stay with it. Put your faith in Christ and stay with it. So he now challenged us in Galatians chapter 5 as well. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty work which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. So we need to look at some very important words here: the word liberty, the word yoke of bondage. Let me read from Enduring World website. It's a Christian website. It says, we need to note here that our freedom comes from Christ Jesus and not from ourselves. Freedom from the power of control of sin is a gift from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we seek freedom any other way, listen to this, including by the works of our flesh, by thinking that I can obey the laws of God, then walk free of the control of sin, it is working in self-delusion. Man is completely helpless against sin under the law. No way out. Why? Because of our sinful nature. So the Bible describes us as slaves to sin. Something we couldn't really handle. So Paul is talking about that Christ has set us free from that system of the law that couldn't deliver us from the slavery and bondage of sin. 
Now, let's see this conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and he was teaching the same principles that Paul is talking about here. Freedom, freedom and liberty is what Christ gives from sin, from the devil, from, it, from the flesh. It's, it's, you can't earn it. John 8, 31 to 34. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now, these are the people who believed in him. When you continue to embrace all that I teach, I'm reading TPT. You prove that you are my true followers. 32. But if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. That's the truth, truth will set you free. 33. Surprised by this, they said, but we are the descendants of Abraham, sir. We are already free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we'll be released into more freedom? I speak eternal truth, Jesus said. When you sin, you are not free. He said, even you wanting to kill me reveals that you are evil. And you are a slave to it. Even what you are doing here, wanting to kill me, shows you are evil. You are a slave to it. So in 34, he says, I speak eternal truth. Jesus said, when you sin, you are not free. You have become a, you have become a slave in bondage to your sin. That's what Paul is talking about. That is Jesus that set us free from slavery to sin and bondage to it. The law couldn't do that. You can't behave yourself into freedom. 35. And slaves have no permanent standing in a family like a son does. For a son is a part of the family forever. He said, you, you, you can't be sons in the family of God. He said, a slave does not have a permanent standing. You are, what God gave you is a temporary thing with limited righteousness. You couldn't enter the, the inner in that altar of God, where the presence of God is. Your relationship, your enjoying with God now, doesn't set you free. You are slaves, and you can't remain in the family of God because God is going to shut down this system. That's what I came to really shut it down. That's what I was telling them. He said, slave does not abide forever. It's only a son that abides in the family forever so that God is going to raise sons of God. And sons of God are going to be people who are free, not slaves. They didn't understand it. 35, let me read it again. And slaves have no permanent standing in the family. He's referring to the Old Testament. He said, you are, you are slaves. The Lord didn't set you free. So you, you're not sons of God. You're bound. You have another father. You have another. You're not sons of God. You're, you, you, have, you have your father, the devil. He said, but the only sons abide forever. And the only way you can become a son is by faith in him. Let's continue to read this interesting conversation here. He says, and slaves have no permanent standing in a family like a son does, for a son is a part of the family forever. Now, that is it. So if the son sets you free, the son of God sets you free, then sets you free from sin, then you become a true son. It's only when you come to me, I set you free that you can become a true son of God. 
He said, all of you here, you are slaves. The law couldn't set you free. You have slaves. The son came to set you free. So you become sons of God. So if the son sets you free from sin, then, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. 37. Even though you are descendants of Abraham, you desire to kill me because the message I bring has not found a home in your heart. Say so your evil life shows you are a slave to sin. Yet, the truths I speak, I have seen and received in my father's presence. But you are doing what you have learned from your father. You are not yet sons of God. You are not. Thirty-nine. They said, what do you mean? They replied, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you are really Abraham's sons, then you will follow the steps of Abraham. Listen to this interesting conversation. You will follow the steps of Abraham, 40. For I have only told you the truth that I've heard in my father's presence, but you are wanting me dead. You want to kill me. Is that how Abraham acted? How did Abraham act? Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous. So he's telling them, if you believe the message I'm giving you from God, if you believe in the Son of God, God will count you righteous. That's what Abraham did. You are not doing it. You are not receiving my message. You are not believing in me. Forty-one. No, you people are doing what your father has taught you. Indignant, they responded. What are you talking about? We only have one father, God himself. They have moved from being children of Abraham now to say, oh, God is suffered. You know, a lot of people go to the church. They think they are Christians because they go to church. So they say, we only have one father, God himself. We are not illegitimate. Jesus said, then, if God were really your father, you would love me. For I've come from his presence. I didn't come here on my own, but God sent me to you, 43. Why don't you understand what I say? You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. Abraham opened his heart and believed God. You don't believe me. 44. You are the offspring of your father, the devil. He repeated it again. And you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. That's why he wanted to kill me. He never stood with the truth, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native language. He's a master of deception, the father of his soul. You, hear, you people sit here wanting to kill me, and you're acting like you are the sons of God? Acting like, acting you're, like you are righteous? And you're right here planning to kill me. He said, that's deception. So this is how Jesus set us free. Every Christian should know these verses. Romans 6, 5. We were set free by death of Christ. Romans 6, 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6. We know. 
Oh, is the truth you know, people, that works for you? Have you known this one? Paul said, I know it. And he said, we know that our old sinful self were crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's what Jesus was telling them. You are slaves to sin. Only the Son can set you free. You can't, you can't come to God and say, I've obeyed the laws of Moses. That will set you free. Only the Son. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's how we were set free from the power of sin. When Christ died and we come to him, his death become our death. Then our old nature was destroyed. That sinful nature was destroyed. And we rose and became new creatures. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ has, was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. When he died, he died to break the power of sin. When he died, he died to break the power of sin. You must know what he did on the cross. The cross makes all the difference for you. If he didn't die to break the power of sin, you and I will remain in bondage to sin. No answer. We don't have answer to it. That's why you just have to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. To accept freedom that he died to provide us. You can't come and say, I'm obeying the law of mercy, so I'm free. You are not. You are not. But now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you all Christians should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, alive to God through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through, through Jesus Christ. Consider, believe it. Don't be like the Jews who are doubting him. Believe and experience. It's not by struggle. This truth must be alive in us. This truth must be the governing truth in our conscience, in our consciousness. So it talks about the yoke and bondage again that we are set free from. Remember, we're talking about how Jesus set us free. Paul said he has, he has given us liberty. He has set us free. So we don't need all these laws to be free. We've been set free by his death. And then he's talked about the yoke of bondage that the law gives us. A system of the law perpetrates you in slavery to sin. Let me, let me, let me give you an illustration. If you, if you are in prison, for instance, and then you want to come out, and you are using the wrong key, and you can't open the door, you see that key keeps you inside that prison perpetually until you change the key. Since the law can set us free, if you are depending on the laws of Moses, it will keep you in prison 
as a prisoner and a slave to sin until you put your faith in the Son who is the key that opens the door and brings you out. So you see, the system of the law leaves us hopelessly helpless under the power of sin, the devil, and totally helpless. So we come to God and think, you know, you come to God and you think you brought your self-righteousness. God is looking at you and say, he doesn't fly here. It's what he did that flies here. Secondly, the law stirs up sin in you. Just like you have a, a wind that blows and blows up dust. The scripture says that the, the Lord is holy. There's nothing wrong with the law. It is holy. God gave it. But what the problem is, is the sinful nature of man. So when you bring this holy thing that's God's law, and because the sinful nature of man disobeys it, it, it stirs it up like a wind that stirs up dust. We, 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 we. So rebellion stirs up because that nature is sinful. Sin is breaking the law. It arouses sin in a man. So when you are operating a system that all it does is arousing in you, it locks you into perpetual bondage to that sin. Romans 7.5. When we were controlled by our own nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused, aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. That's what it does. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ today, what is being taught is the law. And what do we see? You don't see too much commitment to living the, the life of Christ. There is nothing else it does except produce a harvest of sinful deeds. Because it discounts the only one who can set you free and keep you free, Christ Jesus himself. And the Bible says, look unto him. Don't look at the Lord. Don't look at yourself. Look unto Jesus. And we sing it, only Jesus can save. And the Bible, Paul described the law as putting a yoke we can carry. Look at what Peter said in Acts 15, 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto the men, you know, this disputing is as a result of people saying, you need to be circumcised to be saved. You can, you can add any other thing you add there for people to be saved, either because you prayed for them or you lay hands on them. You can add it there. Anything from man. You need to be circumcised to be saved. Or I have to pray for you to be saved if I don't pray for you. You can add all of that. So they were having this dispute. And, when, and when, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how 
that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the good, the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying, purifying their hearts by faith alone. Ten. Now, therefore, why tempt you God but to put a yoke upon the neck of these disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? All these people are demanding for them to do to be saved. It didn't save us or our fathers and parents. We couldn't bear, we couldn't even, we couldn't fulfill the laws of God. He said it's a bondage, it's a yoke. We couldn't bear it. Why are you demanding this of them? God gave them something free just to believe and purify their heart by faith. But you want to ask, they have to be circumcised. Oh, no, 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 I have to pray for you. Oh, no, I need to lay my hands on you. I need to do this. Who sent you to help Jesus? Verse 11. But we believe, listen to this. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Grace is unmerited. Put your faith in Christ. You are saved. You don't pay for it. You don't merit it. You already died for you. All is waiting for you is to come and receive it. And this blocks us from receiving every other blessing of God because the same way you receive salvation, you receive healing, you receive answer to prayer. It's not different. The same way. It's as simple. God brought this town down to the lowest shelf that anybody can receive anything from God. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to suffer for it. Jesus paid in full. You don't have to punish yourself. When we, when we miss it at the point of salvation, we miss it all the way through and frustrate ourselves. We pray and no answer. We fast nothing. And we start going around. And after going around, we hit our heads against the wall. After many years, we realize we've been fooling ourselves. When Jesus said, only believe. And you see the glory of God. No, it's not enough for me. Ah, how can it work for me? Yeah. The Bible said the wisdom of God looks foolish to people. But God has chosen to save us by the foolishness of preaching so that he will make the wise foolish, those who think they know better than him. Matthew 23, 4. For they bind heavy burdens. Look at our Lord talking. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and let them on men's shoulders bear. They dead themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, all their words they do to be seen by men, they make their philatries broad and large the borders of their garments. He said, all this Lord, they pile on you. You can't bear them. Peter said, we and our fathers could bear them. And you can't bear them yourself. And these people that pile it on you, they don't even touch it. Then there's this wonderful invitation. In the face of all this burden, of, of yoke by the law and 
burden of the law and heavy things we couldn't perform. Here comes a marvelous, beautiful invitation from a loving God who has seen us under the weight of this thing. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me now, only that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Come and have freedom that I'm giving. Come and have forgiveness of sin I'm giving. Come, let me make you a son, a child of God. Come, I'll set you free. I will do it. You don't have to struggle anymore. I'll give you rest. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek. <laughs> to be meek is to be easily believe. To be meek is to easily believe. He says that meek in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm never giving you yoke that will crush you. Learn of me, meekness. Meekness is easily entreated, just easily believe what God says. Be a child. Have the heart of a child. If God says it, take it to the bank. Let me read it in message translation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And many people are. They won't, they won't admit it, but they are. Come to me now. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Brethren, what is rest? Rest is stop. You're done. Walk with me and walk with me. Walk with me. And then work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You will learn to live freely and lightly. So let's go to verse 2. That's chapter 5. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. I mean, look at this heavy statement that if you, want to, if you want to achieve acceptance by God, by what you are doing, then Christ means nothing to you now. By your own choice, you have pushed him aside. You don't want him to be your mediator. So he will profit you nothing. Verse 3, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that is a debtor to all the whole law, which means you have to keep all the law. You don't break any of it. Christ is become of no effect unto you. This is serious. Whoever you are, you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. If you want to be justified by God at any point in your life, by your performance, by what you do, then you have given up grace. So you don't want it by grace. Then you don't want it by Christ because Jesus brought us grace. It's a choice. So you either choose Christ or you choose your own self-righteousness, but not both of them. <laughs> both of them don't work together. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace, his unmerited favor and graciousness, it is no longer conditioned on works or anything men, do, or, or anything men have done. Otherwise, grace will no longer be grace. It will be meaningless. If it is grace, it's not conditioned on what you do. It's considered conditioned on what is offering you free of charge. And then let me show us something that I saw 
early this morning, I think yesterday, that when you choose to relate with God based on your performance, your acts of goodness, you reject the priesthood of Jesus and you reject the New Testament completely. Because Paul said grace will profit you nothing, Christ will profit you nothing, you're falling away from grace, which means you rejected the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you rejected the New Testament. Your new priest is the dead priest of the Old Testament. You can't operate with them and with the new priest. You have to operate with the dead ones, those ones who died long ago. If you want their system, you follow, their, follow them. If you want God's system, you follow the priesthood of Jesus. If you don't accept, if you don't accept the grace of Christ, you reject his priesthood. You reject the blessings he mediated between you and God. You are out of faith. Paul said, cast out that bond woman and her child. They will not inherit the promise of God. It's not going to happen. If you like, fast 48 months. If you like, get all the pastors in the world to lay hand on you. What God has said, he has said. Cast out that issue. That thing you, you think you have done yourself by your hand and by your wisdom. Don't bring it to God. The Bible calls it filthy rag. Hebrews 7, 11. So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved the perfection God intended, why did God need to establish a different priesthood? God established a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. So you either decide to be operating under Levi and Aaron, which is established under the law, or you decide to operate under the priesthood of Christ, established under grace. It's our choice. Twelve. If the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. Why? Because the law says only the Levites are priests. Now, God changes the priesthood, and then because God changed the priesthood, he said God has to change the law to permit this one. But the Lord of Moses did not permit Christ to be priest because the priesthood was for Levites and those people. Nothing was mentioned about Judah. And so God has to change the law. God pronounced Christ a priest and the order of Melchizedek outside of what he pronounced under the Lord of Moses. He created this and said, you are now a priest by word of oath. After the order of Melchizedek. That's our thing. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. This change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. God swore an oath and made him priest after the order of Melchizedek. That cannot be destroyed. Not after the order of Aaron, Levites. So when you don't accept 
Christ as your mediator and the only hope you have in this life. I want to bring your goodness. You're moving under the law of that established your priestess, Aaron, and the Levites. You are in trouble. Serious one. Because the mediatory role of Christ Jesus, you rejected it yourself. You know how, that's why Paul said, Christ will profit you nothing. Nothing means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Verse 5. He introduces something very interesting here. For we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. So what does it mean to live by the Spirit? If we live by the Spirit, we eagerly wait to receive now by faith the acceptance, the righteousness God has promised. That We read it before. God promised Abraham, he said, those who believe in you, who act like you, will be counted righteous. So those who believe in Christ, we become the righteous. He said, we, when we live by the spirit, not by the flesh, we eagerly wait by faith to receive things from God according to his promise. Not according to what we've done, but according to his promise. According to his promise. Because the promise is what the Holy Spirit performs. Just like Isaac came according to the promise. So, what does it mean living in the Spirit? I want everybody to hear me now. It's important. Living by the Spirit is living by faith in what the Holy Spirit is doing through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done. That's living by the Spirit. It says, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith. Faith in what the Holy Spirit is doing. Faith in what Christ has done. Faith in the arm of the Lord because you are living by the Spirit. What you are living by is the activity of God, the activity of the Spirit. That's what it means by living by the Spirit. Then living by the flesh is depending on what you have done. By human flesh, human effort. Human this. Unfortunately, this is what we present to God all the time because it makes sense. It makes real sense. Philippians 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. See? When you walk by the Spirit, you rely on what Christ has done. You rely on what the Spirit of God has done. And relying on what Christ has done, relying on what the Holy Spirit is doing, is called faith. But when you don't rely on that, then you rely on what a man has done, what you are doing, and what people are doing. When you rely on that, you are in doubt and don't believe because you don't trust what God has done and what God is doing. You rely and trust in what you, your arm, the arm of the flesh is doing. That's walking by the flesh. Walking by the flesh is walking in doubt, walking in unbelief, and it grieves God. Let me say it now. The moment you shift from faith to doubt, the Spirit of God stops walking dead right there. Not even a second more. Right there it stops walking because you have a disagree with him. God can start something in your life. And you go hearing all the junk stories you hear, and you start trying to do things that they're telling you, instantly you stop the Spirit of God. 
Because he's not going to join you in that junk you're getting it. A lot of people, miracles start in their life, but it's not consummated. It, it doesn't get to the end. They truncate it by ignorance. Philippians 3, verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless. Oh, sorry. Let me finish Philippians 3, 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. We put no confidence in human effort. Verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness what I've done through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends only on faith. Depends only on faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 6. When we, for when we place, that's verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Verse 7. You were running this race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. Nine. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Ten, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Verse 12, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision will mutilate themselves. Thirteen. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, 15. But if you are always biting, devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Now, we read, we read verse 6. 6 to 9 and jump to verse 12. The reason is because verses 6 to 9 and verses 12 to 14 are saying the same things. Let me read it again from verse 6. When, you place, uh, when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. Nine, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing these false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. You see, six brings out the fact that the most important thing is once you come to Christ and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ will start working in you. Producing the love of God. Walking in the love of God. And in verse 12, he repeats it again. That's why we jump from verse 9 to verse 12. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision 
would mutilate themselves, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, 15. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So when we place our faith in Christ, what is important now is living the life of Christ, which is the result of receiving freedom from sin, receiving a new life, which is the love of God. So the important thing now is that once you come to Christ and trust in Christ for your salvation, then you should be living the new life that he gave you. In Galatians 6, 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Whether we've been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. The important thing is, are you transformed into a new creature? When you came to Christ, remember that we said by his death, he set us free. The old man, the old nature was destroyed. And we received a new nature. So he's saying, now this new nature you have received, are you living it out? Is it the, is it the dominant factor in your life? Say, so that is what matters now. That's what is important now. He said, may God peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Let me read it again. Galatians 6, 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creature. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Galatians 4, 19, my little children of whom I travel in bath again until Christ be formed in you. You know, the, the, it's a tragedy that many Christians do not have spiritual goals. They don't have spiritual goods. They just come to church and go. They don't, have a, they don't set any spiritual goal at all. And because they don't have any spiritual goal, they are pursuing nothing. So if you don't have any goal, you pursue nothing. You just be, you just pursue nothing. A rolling stone gathers many miles of. You should have spiritual goals. That you are pursuing. Go, Paul's goal was that Christ be formed in his, the people he's preaching to. That was his goal. He showed up in his prayer, showed up in his preaching, everywhere. That was his passion. He, he wasn't oh, how, how much money he would have. That wasn't his passion. He wasn't even how many people came there. His passion wasn't how many cars I have. They're good. You can have as many cars as you can afford. That wasn't his passion. Paul had this goal to know Christ. He said, look, my goal is to know Christ. My passion, my passion is that Christ be formed in the life of believers, that they mature and that they grow. It was a burning desire of this man. He said, I travel in prayer because of this. Do you have a spiritual goal? How do you grow if you don't have one? And unfortunately, there are people who come to church who have no plans of changing. They are in every church. They don't have any plan of changing. They just want to come and go. Dress well on Sunday. Change. 
don't care about it. One day this life will end. And nobody knows when. I'm telling you, one day it will end. Nobody knows when. That's when you know if you did well or you deceived yourself. So Paul emphasized serving each other in love. That the new life must, must, is important. That we have this goal. We have this goal. We have to have this goal. That the new life will, be, will, will work in my life. Will manifest in my life. So you start praying about it. Seeking God about it. Becomes your desire. And God starts to teach you how to believe him for it. Romans 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God has poured his love into us. So we're equipped to live this life. We are thoroughly equipped to live this life. I woke up one morning, I told my wife, I said, I, said, I just want to eat eat uh, egg. Omelette. And I just wanted to eat chit chat omelette. Somehow my wife makes omelette for me. Very good one. I said this chit chat thing. I just have, man, I've been desiring to eat chit chat omelette. He said, You can eat anything that pleases you now. You can go. So I went and then ordered and I carried it home. But what happened in that stop? Immediately this girl at the counter saw me. Her countenance changed. I'm telling you, you know, some people. I said that my order is ready, and they sent me a text email to come pick it up. He said, what order? <laughs> I said, you should ask me my name so you'll be able to find my order. He said, you are rude. He said, you don't come and ask me your order is ready. I said, say you are being rude. I said, ma, I'm sorry. My apologies. Please forgive me. So she now said, okay, what's your name? <laughs> and I told her, oh, no, he said, what's your name? I told her, I said, but he said, you're rude. So you, you don't come here and tell me your order is ready. And then I said, I'm sorry. Just forgive me. I don't walk. I don't know your language. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I apologize to her. And as he gave me, I bowed again. I said, please forgive me. My apologies. Brethren, we owe everybody love. She, it's, look, she doesn't have to beg me to love her. God gave me enough love to give her. It's a duty every Christian has. It's not even. God gave you enough love to. to those people who act like that, they are the ones that need it most. Because they lack love. It was easy for me to call the manager and start wasting my time. Just wasting my time. And I had to apologize. Make her happy. She said, okay, 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 you have a good day. I said, you have a good day too. So, <laughs> love, love, love. If I go there again, I'll tell her, I love you, love you. We have enough love for everybody. In the home. In the home. In the home. Charity begins there. You owe love to your wife. She owes love to you. She doesn't have to earn it. Sir. The love of God is unmerited. You don't have to earn it. For God so loved the world that he gave us his son. While we were yet sinners, we didn't earn it. 
We were, yet, we were enemies in our hearts. You know what you were doing before you got saved. He loved us. He said, my love is not merited. It's free. So we need to, we need to understand that when you are, once you come to Christ, it is important that this new life begins to manifest. And you start practicing it in your house. Romans 12, 8. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. That's, that's what I owe you. That's what you. It's a debt. For he that loveth another have fulfilled the law of God. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not be a false witness. These, these are the things that if you do, it's not love. You shall not be a false witness. Thou shalt not covet. That, and, and if there be any other commandment, it is biblically comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love walketh no ill to his neighbor. You can't think evil of somebody. You can't speak evil of somebody. You can't gossip about somebody. You can't. You just cannot. Anything that's evil, love walketh no ill to his neighbor. There is no reason to duplicate evil. If somebody does you evil, it's foolishness to duplicate it. Because you receive the same, the same thing as he is receiving. What a man said you receive. Why don't you learn to sow good so you receive good back? Let those who are sowing evil, leave them alone now. Just don't bother about them. But you don't be, don't let the devil deceive you into sowing the same evil. Because they spoke, they spoke about the evil. You went everywhere, you're speaking about them. And they are sowing evil, you are sowing evil. Both of you reap the same thing. There's no difference. See how the devil tricks us? But you can refuse. I say, I really love them. The reason you need to love them is that you're so good. Do not be tired in well doing. You reap, you reap when time comes. There are some things you get by, you don't get it by prayer. You got to sow it. You can't go to a farmland and be fasting and praying that I have harvest here. You have to sow. If you don't sow, <laughs> nothing is coming. Don't sow evil. Jesus said to Peter, ah, keep your sword, my friend. Peter wanted to duplicate evil. Jesus said, no, don't do that. Keep your sword. Don't do that. You get yourself into trouble. So we don't have any reason to duplicate evil. We hate you. Love him now. It's difficult to love you. You can do all things. Love him. Jesus in you wants to love him. That's the point. So allow Jesus to love him. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not Knoweth not God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For love, for God is love. Love is not always comfortable. But love is what you want to do. It's not what you have to. Brethren, it's not what you have to do. It's something you want to do. If you don't want to do, go pray and say, Lord, I don't want to deceive myself. I'm struggling. It will help you. It's something you want to do. You think that Jesus came here and just because he had to do it, he died. No, he wanted to. He said, I loved you. What greater love is this than laying down my life for you? Who was he laying down his life for? People who say crucify him, kill him. It's not worthy of death. He didn't do it because he had, I have to die for them. No, 
He wanted to. Then verse 11. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if we are still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were, not, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. He said, because I'm preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, people are offended. The Bible calls it offense, that will bring offense. Let me say it here, it does bring offense. There are people who don't want to hear this message. The Bible says I've set a stumbling block. People stumble over it. They don't want to hear it. They know better. Acts 5.28. Saying, did we not really command you that you should not teach in this name? They don't want this name. Don't teach in this name at all. If you want to find out whether it's true, go to any government in this America now. Go to many. Once you mention the name of Jesus, people stay away from you. Practice it now, they stay away from you. I had one cat once with Jesus there, and then I went to shop right. They were, they were, they were going. I, I realized that people were like, this man is, is mad, it's crazy. They were, they were just keeping away from me. Jesus said they will hate you because they first hated me. He said you'll be hated by all nations. They're going to hate you. So don't think because you're a Christian you're going to draw a lot of affection from people. No. He said, he said the world hates me and they will hate you. So Paul said because I'm preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, people are offended. He said but if I'm not preaching it, nobody will be offended because that's what the devil wants. So now here in Acts 5, he's saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not preach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But they are the ones that say, let his blood be on us. Now they say, don't talk about him anymore. Now look at the next verse. And to him, what verse is that? And to him, and to him, I think it's 41 or so. Verse 40 or 41. Acts 5. 40 or 41. The same chapter. I think 40 or 41. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them. Yeah, 40. When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And let them go. Somebody went to preach. White House. I mean to pray. They say don't mention the name of Jesus there. Must not pray in his name. In America, <laughs> I believe this is true. In their house of assembly, you pray, you don't mention Jesus. You don't. It's, that name is banned in many places in this country. Verse 16. Let's read 16 to 23. The last verses of chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You see, he's still talking about, now you come to Christ, let you, the new life show. Now he's still talking about, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. You are no more under the law, but you're under another guidance. You are now under another guidance. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. 
which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives you desires, gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So good intentions is not enough. There must be a conscious commitment to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Good intentions is not enough. Self-will is not enough. You need the power of the Spirit. Dependence on the Spirit. 18. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the laws of Moses. Because the laws cannot free you. 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sensual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, bread and quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Have you seen that in the body of Christ? <laughs> in public, it's so serious. In public, they don't even control it anymore. They can't control it. They don't know how to be free of it. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. You go to clubs, Christians, wild parties, and other things like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's as simple as, is this Greek? <laughs> this is not Greek. So I've told you this thing before. If you are living this kind of life, you are Ishmael. You are living the, this is coming from the flesh. It's coming from, it's not coming from the power of the spirit. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, 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 and more patience. Patience, patience, patience is lacking, is lacking, is lacking, is lacking, is rare. One day, if the Lord leads me in this church, I will teach you people patience practically. And I'm not going to explain it until we are done. If he leads me, I will teach you. That they will know what, what I'm saying must do this month. We're going to do right here, practice it. And you, you realize your impatience is common. And yet, through faith and patience, you obtain the promises of God. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. There is no law against these things. Since Paul is emphasizing the need to live a spirit-filled life and a spirit-led life. The need to discipline ourselves so that we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Good intention is not enough. There must be discipline, realizing that you have something to engage. There is something that is wanting to guide you away. The Bible said that the desires of the flesh wars against your soul. You must know there's a war going on. It's not a casual thing. It's an active engagement where you say, I'm not going to listen to you. 
Romans 8.12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have obligation to follow your, you don't have an excuse to follow your flesh. Child of God, Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. We have freedom. You say you don't have obligation. So you don't come to God and say, Lord, you know it's my flesh. He said, but I set you free from that power of sin. I set you free. I made you to reign on earth. Sometimes the reason is because we want to do what we, we love what we are doing. That's the reason. We're enjoying it. Thirteen. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. It will lead you away from God. Kill your faith. Destroy your faith. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. That's why I say good intentions is not enough. You need to know how to walk and engage the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Trusting in the power of Christ. Trusting in the power of the Spirit. Walk, living by the Spirit is putting your faith in the arm of the Spirit. Not in the arm of the flesh. The flesh will fail you. Your good intentions and all those things will fail you. So except the Lord builds. For if you live by the dictates of, 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 but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Through the power of the Spirit. Through the power of the Spirit, not by human power. Faith in the Spirit of God activates the power. So, before we got saved, this is the power at work in us. Ephesians 2 2. Wherein in the time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walketh now in the children of disobedience. This is the power that was working in us before we got saved. It was demonic spirit. Now that you are saved, this is, this is what is happening now. In your life, God has put his power in you. The spirit of Christ lives in you. Ephesians 2, 2, wherein in the past, sorry, Ephesians, Philippians 2, 2, 13. For it is God now which walketh in you. Before it was the devil, but now it's the God. God who, which walketh in you, both to will, to do his good pleasure. Without Christ, we can do nothing. It is God that works in you, both to will, to do his good pleasure. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. So Paul was praying that the Christian will recognize this power working in him. And that God will open our eyes, not only to recognize it, but to know the greatness of that power. Most of the time, we don't, we don't have the consciousness of the, God's presence in us. We don't have the consciousness of the Spirit of God with us. Neither do we have the consciousness of God's, God's Spirit in us. We don't have that consciousness. And because we don't have that consciousness, when we face things, we don't look up inside. We don't look within. We don't remind ourselves that there's power that walketh in me, greater than that. Thing. And that power will keep me. That power will guide me. And when you acknowledge God in all their ways, he starts guiding you. But when you don't acknowledge him, 
Then the next thing you do is start using your human wisdom to plan spiritual problem. You want to solve it with human problem, with human mind, you fail. You just fail. We start with the consciousness of this power present in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If it's not there, me and you have no glory to talk about. He's the only hope of glory we have. So we need to begin to be conscious of his presence in us, conscious of his spirit in us, and begin to acknowledge it. I told somebody, I said, listen, I can't promise you that I won't commit sin, but I'll promise you one thing. I said, Christ in me is greater than anything in the world. I said, I can promise you one thing. I said, I can't promise you I won't commit sin, but I'll give you one promise. That he that keepeth Israel does not sleep, does not slumber. In him I trust. My confidence is in him. I make my boast in the Lord my God. He will keep me. He will guide me. He will strengthen me. He's my strength. And because of him, I won't do anything. I said, but without him, I can't promise anything. But my confidence is in him. Men, we should testify of Christ now. We should acknowledge him. We should not be ashamed of talking about him. I said to this person, I said, Pastor, I said, I, I said, my life, I can't promise you I'm not going to tell a lie. No, 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 I won't do that. I don't have the ability not to tell a lie. I said, but I can tell you one thing, that Christ lives in me. He's my hope of glory. He's my confidence of overcoming every sin because he leads me in triumph every day. I said, I look up to him and trust him 24-7. I can promise you what he can do because he doesn't fail. I say, I am kept by his power. And that's my confidence in this life. Christ in me. It was wow. I said, yeah. My time is finished. Next Thursday, I've finished 24 to 26, I think so. So we don't rush it. It's almost done. But my time is finished. Praise the Lord. I say praise the Lord. I hope you got something. Yeah. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you and give you praise and glory. Worship you, Lord. For what you do by your spirit, no man can understand it all. Where you take this message, I don't even have an idea. What you do with it, Lord, no man can even know. You do abundantly above all we can imagine or think. We are so grateful that by your grace, you called us into this ministry. And we know that you are the one at work. Both in us, among us, and with us. We give you praise for this Bible study, for the word that you have inspired by your spirit, precious Holy Spirit, the builder of the church, our teacher, our guide, our helper. You never fail. We know you will take this word to where you want to take it. Your purpose for establishing it will be fulfilled. We are glad. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not in our, we don't have any oratory. We don't have any ability to present our confidence is only in you, the God who never fails. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.